This series that we've been in on, we're talking about practice, has been actually really fun. It's been fun for us to go through these different the different characteristics that God gives us, and really, in a lot of ways, our choice. Are we going to put these into practice or not? See, there, there's, this, there's this strange passage in Scripture that talks about how um, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And a couple of weeks ago, when I talked about joy, and I talked about the, the, this profound concept that God gives us that we can actually choose joy in all circumstances, we can choose misery But it's not very beneficial for us to choose misery, or we can choose joy. And God wants to choose what is going to be beneficial for us in ultimately us growing in our relationship with Jesus. That's what God wants us to do. Next week, Aisha is going to come up here, and she's going to talk about slowing down. She's going to talk about rest. She's going to talk about Sabbath. Now, you don't have to do that. You can still choose to burn the candle at both ends and drive as fast as you can in in, in your life, but that's not very beneficial. And we want want to help to to encourage each each one of us to practice the things that will be beneficial towards stepping closer and closer to Jesus. Today, the, the, the subject, like what Maurice talked about, the subject that we're talking about today is one that a lot of us would say, anybody that's that's had a life of faith would say, yes, I do this, but do we really do it? Today we're talking about the practice of surrender. And you might just go right away. You might go, oh, yuck. Whenever we talk about something like that, that sounds weak. Well, I want to talk about it and it become actually something that could be a strong, beneficial, essential piece to us growing in our relationship with Jesus. What does it look like to practice surrender. I mean, we just sang, we sang, and Whitney just led us in a bunch of songs, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Do we? Do we make room for God to do whatever he wants to do in our life? Again, I think we say we do, but I'm not sure if we do. There was a passage of scripture for me growing up, or for me when I was in college and I first um, made a step towards Jesus. Uh, there, was a, there was a passage that I memorized that was, um, that was um, um, gosh, what was it? What was it? What was it? Throw it up there for us. Yeah, see how well I memorized it? To, to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. To trust in the Lord with all of your heart and to lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. When I first learned that, it was so, it was so um, uh, profound for me, and, and, I, and I applied it to everything. I was so excited at the University of Washington to, to learn this stuff, and, and, I, and I'm going, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and I'm going, I'm going to do that, and there's this Jackie Sylvie, and I don't know if I should date her, and should I, and I'm going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart, and lean not on my own understanding, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step forward in that. You know, should I kiss her on our first date? I don't think I should, but I'm going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not on my understanding. And God's telling me to do that, so I'm going to do it. Man, I did that all the time through college. But here's what happens. Since that time, for many of us, we modify that passage. You know, kind of like when you modify a diet. You're on the whole 30, but you're kind of on it. You want a whole 30 plus a beer at night. You know, that kind of modification. We're, we, we modify it, and we modify a passage like this. 
We say, well, I'll trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Well, maybe not all of it. I'll trust in the Lord with a lot of my heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Well, I mean, I'll lean on my understanding when I'm right, or when I know my understanding is right, which is almost always. So I will lean on my own understanding when I'm right, and when I'm not so right, I'll lean on God's understanding. So we modify the passage. Lean on your understanding. In all my ways, in all my ways, I'll acknowledge him. When I remember to, in all my ways I'll acknowledge him and he'll make straight my path. Now that's what I want. I want the straight path. And I'll get that mostly through what I know and maybe a little bit through what God knows. See, surrender is really, really hard to do. Because we are creatures of that, that desire control like crazy. We need control in our life. We need to control, we need to control the, um, our, our money. We, wanna, we want total control over our money and, and, and what's going to happen with our money. Now, now, as I say any of these things, now I'm not abdicating responsibility. I'm not saying that, that okay, you shouldn't budget. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about responsible with, with, with something like your money. I'm talking about when you know that that's driving you, when you know that that's become your God, when you know that, that, that that's controlling you and you want to control it, when you're obsessed by it all. That's, the kind of, that's, that's what we're talking about is the things that we tend to just grab onto as tight as we can. And we know money's probably the, one of the biggest ones. Our children... Man, we want to control it. We want to make sure that they, they ended up with the, the right friends and, and that they're having the right conversations with their friends. They'll come home from, fr from a friend's house and they'll say stuff that you just go, oh my gosh, okay, you're not going to be friends with them anymore. Now it's another one. We want to control that as much as we can. We want to control their behavior at school. We want to control um, um, the, the words that they say. We want to control that. Now, the new word for that is helicopter parenting, or not even a new word. That's an old word now is helicopter parenting. But really, it's all parenting now. We want to control it. Now, let me tell you, you guys that have preschoolers or grade schoolers or even middle schoolers, it doesn't get easier in high school, college, and, and post-college. In fact, I'm looking for the book for someone to write that says, here's how to raise adult children. Because, because for me, I still want to control it. My kids are older now, but I still want to control where they live so long as it's close enough to us. I want to control that now that they're having children, your, grand, your children better be meet, visiting us all the time. I want to control that. My daughter going to Vegas. I want to control to make sure that no one's slipping anything into her drinks, make sure she doesn't, isn't drinking too much. I want, to, I want to make sure she's wearing appropriate clothes. I asked her, is it okay if I come? I won't do it. I'll just sit in the background and just make sure that, yes, that's appropriate. That's not. We want to, we, we need, we're desperate, desperate to control. We want to control our future. We want to control our retirement years. We got to have control over those things. We want to control our image. It's why social media is so stinking popular. Because we need to control what other people think of us. 
And that's the easiest way to control what other people think of us. I might, we might, you might be doing awful in your marriage, but if you post enough pictures of you traveling the world, well, good. Now I've got control over what people think of us. You, you, you might be struggling with your kids, but if you, can, if you post a picture of you guys, uh, you know, making cookies together, oh, look at that beautiful family. That's all they do. They're always smiling. We're controlling it because we, we need it. We're, we're, we're passionate for, for, for that control. And so when we talk about something like surrender, man, that, that, is, that is really hard to do. What's, what's hard is that we're, we're, we're desperate for control. And when we're, when we're out of control, we feel desperate. Craig Rochelle is a pastor in Oklahoma, and he says it this way. He says, the more that we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control. And the more we're afraid of losing control, the more we try to control. And the more we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control. It's a cycle. And the longer we stay in it, the more we edge God out of it. The longer we stay in the cycle, the more we're pressing God out of those things that are actually most important in our life. There's a passage of scripture I actually want you guys to memorize today, okay? It's, it's Psalm 61, 1 and 2. It's part of verse 1 and it's part of verse 2. And it's this, Oh God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Oh God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is a, this is a passage of surrender. This is a passage of, of, of humility. It's saying, God, there is a rock that's higher than I. I'm looking for the stability that I'm going to control and hold on to. And there is a rock that is higher than I that will give me the actual stability that I'm truly, truly seeking. Oh, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I, need, I, I want us all, if there's nothing else that you will get out of today, I want us all to, to, to go home remembering this, this verse. So, here's the verse, so we're going to memorize it right now, okay? So first we're going to say, oh, Lord. Say, oh, Lord. Oh, geez, that sounds like my old Catholic days. Oh, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Okay, okay. Oh, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Oh, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Okay, Whitney, come on up and let's put some music to this so that they'll remember it. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. But sometimes it takes some music to remember it. Too. She was going, what? <laughs> oh, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You guys, now don't repeat that. In fact, I just want you to repeat the rest of my sermon. Ready? No, no. Lord, we, put that on your mirror. Put that on your refrigerator. Put that in your car. Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's something more than me. There's a, there's, a, there's a concept that is more than me. There's a reality that's more than me. There's a truth that's more than me. Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Jesus wants us to come to him. And Jesus wants us to say, you are the Lord of my life. The Lord of my life. Not a Lord in my life but the Lord in my life. That's surrender. That's living a life of surrender. Let's look at that a little bit more. Father, I'm going to pray that as we look at your passage, you look at your scripture, that you would help us, that your, that your light would shine on it, that, that it would speak to us and would leave us um, in a place that helps us to understand truth and that would draw us closer to you because of that truth. 
So speak to us as we open your word at this point. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys, there's a passage that I have so um, loved sitting in over these last couple of weeks. When Jesus first got started in his ministry, when he first got started, so he was like 30 years old. He, was, he, he lived his first 30 years. His ministry happened for about three years, and then he died on the cross. And it's when he first got started with that, he had to gather some people that he was going to collect with him that was going to say, you guys follow me in this. The first four people that he gathered together was, was Peter and Andrew and James and John. Those are the first four people. He said, man, I want these guys to, to walk with me and learn from me as I do this. As he pulled those first four people, here's what happened. This is, this is what happened the night before the, that Jesus introduced himself to these guys. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing. James and, James and John and Peter and Andrew were, were basically business partners. They're fishermen. And they're on the Sea of Galilee fishing all night long. That's when they did it. They'd throw their nets out and nothing was coming up. Over and over again, nothing was coming up. And then Jesus finally, and so the next day, they get, they get finished with their, with, their, um, with their fishing. Nothing came up. And they're sitting there cleaning their nets. So I got this big old net here. And they're cleaning their nets. They're just going through it. Just, and you can picture them just going, what an awful night that was. This is not fly fishing, you guys. This is their livelihood. And so they're just sitting there cleaning these nets that had no fish in them all night long, going, there's not a fish in that entire sea. And then Jesus comes walking along, and he's got this mob of people behind him, and they're, he's, they're coming along to the shore. Now these guys, they don't know anything. They're just looking at him going, they're probably looking at him thinking, oh, great. The last thing we need right now is a group of people down here while we're cleaning these stupid nets that didn't catch any fish. Well, Jesus comes down to the shore. The crowd's crowding around him. And so he needs to get out in the water and he steps into Peter's boat. And he says, hey, let's, go, let's, let's get out on, off of the shore so I can talk to these people. You can imagine Peter in that moment right there. Do you think he's going, oh, sweet, let's do that, Yeah. No, come on, you, you know that he's got to be going, are you kidding me? Of all the fishermen on this shore, you're going to pick me after that night and you want us to go out on this boat? This is what it says. This is what, this is what it says in Luke chapter 5. Once when he was standing on the shore of the lake just center at, which is the Sea of Galilee, okay, so this is Jesus, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them. They're just outside of him scrubbing their nets. And he climbed into the boat that was Simon's. Please, you guys, do not look at that like that was just some coincidence or happened to be in Peter's boat. He knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's. It was his name before Jesus changed it to Peter and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Now, you just get, you picture that, you guys. He's a carpenter. Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth, and he's telling Peter, a fisherman, go, let's go out there in the middle of the day and, and, and fish. After all that they had just gone through the night before, Peter's response, it, you can read it one, or two, one of two ways. You can either, either read it going, oh my gosh, yes, of course we're going to do that, Jesus. Or you can read it probably the way it was, which was, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the, I'll let out the nets. You know Peter is just going, fine, 
You want me to throw those nets out? I'll throw them out there, and you'll see the same thing that we saw the night before. Simon Peter, when he saw it, oh no, wait, wait, I missed, skipped the, the biggest point right there. It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. They filled the boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. And Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner, and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. And when they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. You guys, as I've been sitting in this passage, it's been so cool to think about all the, in this tiny little moment right here that this is a progression of faith. That, 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 listen to this. As I unpacked it. I thought, wow, this is really cool. Watch. Jesus first comes to us. I've said that a thousand times to you guys. We don't find him. He finds us. Jesus comes to us. He comes to Peter. And then what he does is he steps in our boat. Jesus steps in your boat. And we don't have the physical Jesus here on earth today, but we have his Holy Spirit, and he is stepping into our boat. Whether you like it or not, or want it or not, I don't think Peter wanted it. He steps into our boat. In your marriage right now, he is stepping into your boat. In your, when you're going to work tomorrow and you might be struggling with your boss, he is stepping into your boat. When you're struggling with your kids or you're looking at home going, I don't know why it's going this way, he's stepping into your boat. When you're struggling with, with whatever you're going to do next as far as your house goes, he's stepping into your boat. The unknown future that you have that you're looking ahead to and you go, uh-oh, what am I going to do next? Or I'm leaving or I'm staying. He's stepping into your boat. He's right there. Now look at what happens next though. So he steps into his boat and he starts teaching and Peter's listening to him. That's what we do. He steps into our boat. We listen. We're listening to, to whether it's preaching or it's someone talking to you or it's reading the Bible. So he steps into our boat and then he's teaching. And then from there, he says, now I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what I can do. I'm going to show you my power. And he has him throw, throw the nets out there. And they catch a bunch of fish. And so we all, you, you see that and you go, okay, he has stepped into my, he has approached me, stepped into my boat, teaches me, shows me, and my response is Peter's response. You worship him. Peter gets on his knees saying, I'm not worthy. The rest of them are in awe. And so we worship him. And you guys, that is a progression of faith. And that's what, we all, that's, that, that's what anybody that's familiar with, with, with a, a journey of faith, that's the progression. And many of you have seen it, and it goes, it loops. goes around and around. Jesus approaches you. He gets into your boat. He, he, he teaches you. He challenges you. He shows you. And then, he, and then we worship him. And then we do it again, and we worship him. We come to church, and we worship him. You could go your entire life and do it just like that. Your whole life, you could, that's it. But there's something more. There's something more that Jesus presses. He's going, I want your whole life. Not just to worship me for what you just saw, but I want your whole life. And, he said, and, and it says this. Jesus said to Simon, there's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishers for men and women. And they pulled up their boats on the beach, left their nets and all, and followed him. They didn't know what was going to come up next. They didn't know what was around the corner. 
But they left their nets and they followed him. And Jesus is saying, that's the surrender that I'm looking for. You go your whole life and worship me without really ever surrendering. Surrender. That's the part I need you to do. I need you to recognize that, that, that I am the Lord of your life, not a Lord in your life. I need you to recognize that there is a rock that is higher than you. I need you to surrender. Now, now when you read the different, different versions of that, and Luke and Mark and Matthew all wrote about it, it just says that they dropped their nets and followed him, or Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. And I, could just, I, just, I just stopped there and I just thought... I don't think it was that easy. I could just picture them holding their nets, just holding them. And he says, follow me. And I could picture him just going, but what do I have to let go of to do this? I could picture him just going, this is my livelihood. And, 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 and maybe, maybe they're... they're their smallest finger is, is pried off. This is my reputation that I'd be surrendering by doing this. And maybe a little bit more, more is pried off. It's my, because what are people going to think if I just drop everything to follow this religious guy? I could picture him going home and telling their wives, hey, we, um, we uh, bagged out on our career and just walked with that dude that we've been seeing. And it's prying fingers away. Now, don't make the mistake that this is only for people that are going to leave your accounting job and go uh, be a pastor. We don't need a whole lot more pastors, okay? So don't do that. It's not about that. What are you holding on to? And what's God trying to pry your fingers away from? To actually, truly drop your nets and follow him. There is a rock that's higher than I. Nine years ago for me, Jackie and I are at, at, you know, doing college ministry on the CU campus. We're running one of the bigger college ministries in the country, and, and we were having a blast doing it. We loved working with college students. And, and we had a job that was absolutely secure. It was, it was, we knew that even if the rest of the church was struggling, our job was secure because it was kind of the golden child of the church. And so we knew our job, this one, this one, we've got it. We could do this for as long as we want to do it, and we love doing it. And in some ways, we kind of became, I mean, I, I don't want this to sound arrogant at all, but we kind of became experts at it. You know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote Outliers, and he says, if you did something for 10,000 hours or more, you become an expert with it. And, and after thinking of the thousands of students that we had met with and the, all the premarital counsel that we did and all the talks that we gave and everything that we had done for, with college students for 20 years, we got really good at it. So we're, so we re, we, I, I really liked all of that. And then I was going to say stinking Jesus. Jesus got into my boat. He got into my boat. 
And he says, I got something for you. And I went and spoke at a conference in Northern California. And I went golfing with a guy named John Orberg that was a, it's a pastor of a church there that's a, that was known um, around the country as a speaker. And John went, uh, went, went golfing with me at one of my favorite courses I've ever played at Spyglass Hills. And, and for four and a half hours, John speaking words of encouragement and words of inspiration and words of challenge into my life to say, what's next for me? And, and so now all of a sudden I'm coming back stirred up and I'm going, I don't, wait a minute, this was all just the easy next step for us. And instead he's, he's in my, Jesus is in my boat. And we start paying attention. We start listening to what he says. And, and next thing you know, we, we turn in a resignation and we say, we're going to start a church instead with all the craziness that comes with the people that come to churches like this one. So we had to start this church, with, and, and, and so we did, and, and, but yet still there was some, there were, we started seeing fish in the nets. The fish was you guys, the Bowdies and the Ericsons and the Youngstroms and the Douglases and these people and a bunch of you guys that were part of the fish that said God's providing. The flimes showed up out of a, from another church because they just Another church prayed for our church start, and they were sitting in it, and they said, we want to be a part of it. And so now they're part of our prayer team and everything else that happens around here, and God has, God has given us fish. And so we're seeing all of, all of that happen, and we were worshiping. And Jim and Karen come along. The guy, Jim, is, Jim helped me start a sent church, and, and they come along, and they're helping us to get it rolling. And, and, and then more people show up, and we worshiped God, and we were in tears as we were doing it. But you know what? I still didn't learn surrender. I learned a little bit of surrender, but I didn't realize that God's, God's voice of surrender, the next thing, really didn't come till years later. Didn't come till a pandemic hits. And you start to see all the stuff you've been trying to do, start to see it, it, it in some ways unravel Pastors were quitting all over the country because for the first time they were guessing. For the first time we were having to go, I've got this. I've got my hands on this steering wheel. And all of a sudden their hands are pried away and, and we, pastors didn't know what to do. Uh, George Floyd murder happens. And we stand up around racial justice. And some people leave. And God's going, are your hands going to be here or here? I, I talked about how we need to love our LGBTQ brothers and sisters far more than we do, and the church has done a travesty when it comes to love. And we had some people leave. And God's saying, are you going to hold your hands open? We're trying to figure out how to be best neighbors by wearing masks. And some people leave saying, I just want to go to church where there's no masks. And God's saying, are you going to hold your hands open? And then, and then even further along, we... I mean, and this happens all the time. You get months where there's not as much giving, and so then there's the financial piece to it. And you go, are you going to hold your hands open? In fact, just this month, we're making two hires. I can't wait to introduce you guys to them. It's going to happen really quick. And actually, three we're coming up on. But this is not, hasn't been the greatest financial month for us as a church. And God right now is saying to me, are you going to hold your hands open? And I'm learning, I'm learning Surrender. And then my house goes down. And I'm learning surrender. 
I'm not the only person that has stories of surrender. In fact, there's lots in this room of, of, of either the progress of surrender or what you had learned about surrender. I actually asked three very, people that are very close to me and people that I respect deeply. I asked three women to share a little bit about their experience on surrender. And so Whitney, our worship pastor, and Kaylee, our children's pastor, and my wife, they got together and just, and just had a conversation and Stuart and Maggie caught the conversation and they videoed it for me. And I sat and listened to it and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is the whole sermon right here, what these guys are saying. And, and, and so what, what Stuart did is he, he edited that down for us into, into what we can listen to today. But then he wants to have the whole conversation online for you if you want to listen to the whole thing. It's powerful. I sat there and thought, these are three people that are opening their hearts to the, to the struggle and the joy and the challenge of surrender. This is a little bit of their conversation. Here we are, ladies. Here we are. Bill has tasked us to talk about surrender. He's talking about surrender in his sermon today. And um, it's one of those topics that I don't think there is a person on planet Earth that um, has a relationship with the Lord that hasn't had to deal with surrender. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that comes with that journey of walking with, with Him. Yeah. Um, I know you guys probably have some great stories. So, One of the biggest things that I felt like I had to surrender over and over, and it was a continual surrender, is... Um, was singleness and this idea of the things that one of the things I longed for for so long, which was a husband and a family. And, um, you know, it's you picture your life in a certain way, starting from a young age and in a young age where you think you can plan everything. And, you know, I'm going to be 22 when I graduate and I will meet my husband in college and we'll get engaged and married. And then like by 24, I think that, you know, like we'll start having kids, kids, right? And then you realize life doesn't work that way. And, um, and at the same time, you do see it working that way for people around you. Mm-hmm. And I remember college just didn't, my dating life did not go like that. It wasn't setting me up towards those things. And I remember my first year out of college hearing this message about the cost of following Jesus. Like, would you, the rich young ruler, like, would you be willing to give up everything? Like, even if, Kaylee, even if you getting married is not in the plans I have for you. Will you trust me and will you follow me? Will you choose to love me? And I remember that being a gut check moment for me of like, oh, I didn't realize I was holding something up as an idol on a pedestal. And that was a moment for me that I really had to choose. Am I going to let go and trust to follow Jesus with everything that I have. And that was a hard, scary moment to be like, I don't know if I can picture my life without this thing that I've wanted for so long. Yeah. And, and little did I know I would have to (laughs) surrender and choose to trust and follow for far longer than I ever thought (laughs) that I would. And it was, it's been a continual process of choosing to let go. You don't just surrender once and like, no. oh, poof, you know. <laughs> All done forever. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and you just realize, but I mean, I did struggle with that idea of, is God kind? Mm-hmm. Is he kind to me? And um, mm-hmm. will he give me 
what I desire and will I be okay even if he doesn't and I think in the midst of all of that there I needed to be reminded of truth over and over I had to cling mm -hmm. to what I knew to be true and yeah. people to speak truth because it's easy to feel forgotten it's easy to get lost in that and um yeah those were really big things for me yeah. in a very long season of being single I was thinking like all I ever wanted to be was like a singer and a mom and like the two things that were like ripped from me were my voice like at an early age when I was literally living in Los Angeles like trying to be a rock star <laughs> and then um you know after marriage which I waited a long time for and babies which we worked hard to have and then we're told we'd never have and it was like okay Lord do I still trust you do I still believe this truth will I still get up on stage every weekend mm -hmm. through all of this and say like you're who I choose to follow. In a very, very public way, you lose, I lost a lot of things, and then in a very public way, he's like given those things back hmm. to me, but given them to me in a way that um, gives me a heart and a tenderness for mm -hmm. people who have lost. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes me, it makes me a better wife and a better mom and a better friend and a better worship leader and a better human because I understand the pain of losing and then saying, but I'll still follow. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. It sucks, but it, yeah. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. a good story, but it doesn't feel good when you're going through it, you know? Mm -mm. You just know that there's no way we can, this side of heaven, yeah. feel like it gets all wrapped up mm -hmm. and I think there's glimpses of that there's definitely glimpses of of what God's up to but you know I don't think that I want to worship a God that I can hold in my hand mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. there's something greater about that and that's why surrender I think is so hard I think that you know the journey that I've been on has you know, we've been sharing this um, in church. I know Bill shared a lot about just losing our home, um, losing everything. Um, I look back and think December 30th, I had zero idea what was about to yeah. happen to us. How could you? Um, but the rug kind of got pulled out from underneath us and um, we are in a place of, of not choosing that. Um, but it's a circumstance that's on us. And um, the journey is learning to surrender. Um, I didn't choose to have to start over and figure out how to rebuild a home. Like it's it's just not not ever what I thought I would be doing. I'd never thought we'd be have to be experts in that field. Um, but it feels, like the justice meter goes mm -hmm. off and I feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be doing this. Um, how's this fair? How is yeah. this fair? Um, but yet, um, even as it's still so close to the surface for me and extremely raw, um, 
I do think the Lord has been really tender with me. Mm. Um, I have experienced just some, some sweet moments um, alone with Him. Um, I know He has me. And I, I think before the fire, there was an image that I had very, very clearly that I was in the Lord's hands. That whatever happens, happens to you, but I am in the Lord's hands. And it's interesting to think about it now in light of everything that's yeah. happened. I, do you still feel that way? I do. I really do. The circumstances are terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, I wish I could kind of rewind and have that not happen. But it's an opportunity for me to understand just how the Lord has me. Mm-hmm. Um so that's, that's been the beginning. I feel like I'm just at the crest of the journey. <laughs> Have some few more miles ahead of me. but I see God's intentionality now looking back and knowing like, like what he was doing in all of these moments and things that I still don't even know, but... I think of, there's a song or lyric that says, um, God, you're bigger than I thought you were. And I feel like that is in this season. I mean, we're like maybe six weeks into marriage, but this is like where I'm realizing, oh my gosh, God, you are so much bigger than I thought you were. And I was so afraid you were going to let me down. And you've given me more than I even need to ask for. Mm. And... It feels like a pretty bow, and I know not every story has that, and in 36 years, it never felt like a bow, and like I said, now there's new things that I'm having to choose to surrender every day, and um, and even our process of our relationship and getting to marriage, um, none of that looked how I thought, you know? Being 36 wasn't... but. Even the process and the plan, I can so relate to all of the, like, I have a plan and a process. (laughs) God is just asking me over and over to, like, step in faith. Like, their faith comes into a part of it, right? If you just have to say, like, okay, I'm going to choose to follow you and, um, and letting go and surrendering and seeing that, that God is so much bigger and, and he is so intentional in the details, mm-hmm. more than I knew or understood. Surrender is, I'm, I'm going to choose your way and your kingdom over mine. Man. The, yeah, seriously. Um, the, 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 the amount of respect and the, um, uh, uh, and the wisdom that was in that room that, that I have for those three women um, and, and their, uh, my appreciation for their vulnerability and the rawness that they share that with because it's the journey that we're on, but it's a journey of surrender. There's a, there's a, um, I read this, and I actually don't know. I, I remember write, reading it, and I forgot who wrote it. So I just, I, it says this. The heart of surrender says, God, I trust your plan more than mine. I trust your ways more than mine. I trust that you have an outcome for me that is better than the one I can come to on my own. Because of this trust factor, the challenge of surrender is do you really believe it? Do you really believe that God, that doing it God's way is better than doing it your own way? If you truly believe it, then you will surrender. But if you don't believe it, you won't. It's an issue of faith, you guys. 
it becomes an issue of faith. One of the th- parts in, this, in that conversation that, um, that will be in the longer version that you can go, go online to listen to, Jackie shares that, um, that when, she was, when she was writing and journaling about all that's been happening, she said, I feel like I've been, I'm, I'm unwinding and I feel like I'm unraveling. And she said, that's not a good feeling to have. You're feeling like you're being unwound and unraveled and that's just getting tangled. <laughs> And she says, I, she says, I want every part of me to control that and to keep myself from being unwound and unraveled and to get the, uh, and to get the untangling to out. But she's saying, I feel like I just need to surrender to a tender God that sees the end of that string and knows that it goes through this loop and then around this loop and then through here and that God might be the one that will untangle and, unwind, and, and wind it back up the way he wants it to be and, and, and take the unraveling and put it back together the way he wants it to be. And she has to surrender to that, knowing that there is a rock that is higher than I. Now, we got to get going because uh, we, we got we to move on to the rest of our day. But I always want to give you guys a couple of, of things that we can do to practice this. And in fact, while I do this, the worship team can come on up. Um, a couple of things that we can do to practice surrender because we need to practice surrender. What's that look like? Well, one of the thi- it's, a, it's a posture thing that I think about. It's that holding on tight like they were with the nets. It's holding on tight. And so it's a posture thing. And what's it look like to release that? What I want you guys to do is I want you to think about the first thing that comes to your mind in the morning when you wake up, the very first thing that comes to your mind. I want you to think about that because a lot of times that's the thing that we're least wanting to surrender. That's the thing that we want to control the most. And tomorrow morning, I want you to wake up and I actually want you to put your fist out in front of you, just like this tomorrow morning. Who's actually going to do this, okay? Put your fist out in front and just on that very first thing that comes up, my children, I want to surrender it. Drop the nets. I'm going to surrender it. I want you to think about what those things are. And, and that might start with just 30, five seconds, but it might lead to 30 seconds and it might lead to 30 minutes of, God, I am surrendering my life to you. It's a posture. Jesus did this. Come on, you know that he was holding on tight in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, God, uh, you know, do, do, I, I, will you take this from me? But not my will, but yours be done. That's surrender. Think about the ways that you can do that. We've talked about this whole thing with finances and and money and how money is one of the hard ones to do. The reason why God talks about it so much isn't to put a guilt trip on you to give to a church. The reason God talks to us so so much is because he knows we hold on to it so tightly. And it says, man, each, each man or woman should give what he's found in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because we're releasing. Some of you have learned that, and some of you have not. One of the things that Beth and I talked about that could be a cool way to help for practice is is that you might, we we decided we're going to start this $50 club that just says, if you haven't learned that, go online and hit the $50 club and just give 50 bucks a month, and that's the beginning of you releasing. And then if you learn that practice over and over again, maybe 50 becomes 100. And that doesn't mean 100 here to a cent or anything. That could be 100 to Sister Carmen. I don't care where it's at. I just want it to be us releasing, releasing our hands and saying, I am surrendering this to you. What would a life of surrender look like? What would it look like? What would your prayer life look like? What would your giving look like? 
What would your, your relationship with your kids or your spouse look like? What would your relationship with your, with your, with your God look like? There is a rock that is higher than I. Father, I pray that we would recognize that, that you would help us in it. I, I'm so thankful for the ladies that shared in the rawness of it how hard it is. And yet, we know deep down you are good. We know deep down you do know what is best. We know deep down you have a plan. And Lord, we will come reluctantly. We'll come screaming. We'll be toddlers again, just crying. But Lord, help us one finger at a time to release the nets and that we would truly surrender and follow you. God, help us to the smallest steps to the biggest steps Help us to do that with whatever we hold so dear in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.